me to the book of Hebrews. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to begin at verse number 1 in just a moment. Uh, I just want to share again some thoughts that have been on my heart this week. Many of you know that last week I shared with you some very quick thoughts on the quest for the perfect gift, something that many of us stress out over every year around this time, trying to discover the most perfect gift. And I shared with you that at least in my opinion, the most perfect gift is the most well-thought-out gift. That rather than just going to the store and buying something on a whim, that it is a well-thought-out gift. You actually put some thought behind that particular gift. And I shared with you that when it comes to the perfect gift, the perfect gift of all time has to be the gift of salvation, the gift of everlasting life. I cannot imagine a more perfect gift than knowing that at the end of your days, you will have everlasting life. How many of you are thankful for that great and perfect gift? Amen. And how well thought out was it? Well, again, consider that the book of Revelation tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the earth, which just simply means that long before man was ever created, long before we were ever given free will, long before we ever used that free will in resisting God and sinning against Him, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit conferred with one another and they determined that the final solution for man's sin and rebellion against God would be the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus Christ. I just can't even imagine that. As a father myself, I can't imagine setting into motion a plan that would ultimately cost me my own son. And yet, that is God's profound love for mankind. And He demonstrated that on the cross. What a great and mighty God we serve that He would do that. God made long-range plans for our salvation and addressing the sin problem, but also addressing it in a responsible manner, literally addressing all of the issues that come whenever you extend forgiveness freely to the guilty. What a mighty God we serve. And so from the moment we are introduced to God in the Word, we see Him as a giver, a a generous giver, a giver of good and perfect gifts. And then we spent some time last week looking at the great lengths that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit went to in order to secure those gifts and to distribute them to those who humble themselves before Almighty God. And every gift that He gives not only demonstrates His profound love for us, but also demonstrates that He is faithful. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, He is faithful. There is no shadow of turning in Him, which means that there is no situation that you have gone through. There is no situation you're going through. There is no situation that you will go through in the future that will ever eclipse God, that will ever eclipse His power and His majesty. Nothing you'll ever go through is going to shake Him or change Him. He is unchangeable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will remain secure. After all has passed away, He will still be standing because He is faithful. 
And as I shared with you at the end of the message last week, again, I don't know what the new year is going to hold for any of us, but I do know that His promise remains true. And He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And if we draw near to Him, He promises us, I will draw near to you. And I will provide the good and the perfect gifts that are necessary to see you through that season because I am faithful. How many of you are thankful again that we serve a faithful God? Give Him all the praise. Now, when it comes to the perfect gift, something that I have been considering over the last couple of weeks is that maybe we're going about it the wrong way. And that maybe the reason we're so stressed out about trying to find that perfect gift is because of how we view gift giving. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, the key to finding, of choosing, and discovering the perfect gift involves a radical shift in the way we think about this ritual we know as exchanging gifts. The reason I say that, and let's be honest, is that most of us think of giving gifts as nothing more than exchanging physical objects. And so maybe that's why through the years, we just don't think about gift giving the way we used to when we were young. Because we only see it as exchanging physical objects. And you can see how that would be monotonous over time. In fact, my wife and I were having a conversation about that just this past week. Whenever we go to Maine to be with our family over the Christmas season, we always take gifts with us and exchange gifts with our family. But when we're not going up there like this year, um, it, it's just hard to pack everybody's gifts up and send them. So it's so much easier to get a card and put some money in it or put some gift cards. How many of you have just ended up, that's all you do these days is just gift cards. You know, and and it seems a little impersonal, but you want to give them something. So you get a card, you put some money in it, or you put some gift cards in it because you want to share that with them. And Kathy and I were talking about it just this past week, and she said, Kurt, it just seems so maddening. We send them money and gift cards, they send us money and gift cards. It's just so circular. Why are we doing this? And I told her, I said, it's because we think giving gifts is just about exchanging physical objects. But what if we actually started to see gifts and giving these gifts as an alternative way to communicate with one another? I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about it, but whenever you give a gift, you're sending a message. When you give a gift to someone, you're actually speaking to them. You are sending a message to them. And you may have never thought about it, but you've seen that played out over your lifetime. I mean, there is nothing worse than buying something for someone and they open it up and clearly they got a message you weren't trying to send. Guys, let me tell you, that's the reason that some of you, when your wife opens up the gift every Christmas, she starts crying and stomps out of the room. Because even though you and I are too thick to know it, we sent a message, and sometimes that was not the message we intended to send. Some gifts communicate intimacy and closeness. Some communicate distance and I don't even know if I know you. Some gifts scream out, I've been thinking about you all year long. 
And some gifts emphatically state, I've been thinking about myself all year long. And so I'm just throwing that out to you guys, because I don't know if the ladies fall into that category, but guys, just think twice before you buy that treadmill, or that toaster oven, or that blender, or that gym membership, because you may be sending a message that you didn't intend to send. Because every time we give a gift, we're sending a message. Last year, I don't know when it was, but at some point last year, I I remember making this comment in passing that one weakness that I have is potato chips. I don't know if anybody else shares that weakness, but I have always loved. And then they went and invented kettle chips. I mean, those are slap your mama good. I mean, they are excellent. I love potato chips, and I always have. I, I, I haven't, and I know it doesn't look like it, but I don't eat them that often. I, I may have a bag every three or four months. Just every once in a while, I've got to satisfy that craving, and I'll go out. And, you know, and my philosophy is no one can eat just one, and it doesn't play just for the Lay's potato chips either. It's for all of them. I just love potato chips and a lot of different flavors. And I mentioned that in a message. Well, last Christmas, about three weeks before Christmas, I came into my office one Sunday morning and there was a, a gift in my office. It was probably about that big, you know, like, like in there. And it was wrapped beautifully and there was a card on it. And I opened up the card. It was very dramatic in its presentation. And at the very end it said, do not open till Christmas morning. Well, I took that home and I put it under the tree. And when everybody got over there, they're like, dad, you got to open that now. And I said, no, 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 we're going to honor this person's wish. We're not going to open till Christmas morning. Well, for three weeks, they had to sit around and watch that box and look at it. And they're like, come on, you got to open it. Finally, Christmas morning came and they said, open that first. We're dying. You got to open it up. So I opened it up. And inside of it are 12 bags, because you have to think it's 12 days of Christmas, there are 12 bags of potato chips in there. All different flavors, and on each one of those bags was a poem. And I'm telling you, it was like 8 to 10 lines long on each one of those bags. And so this is an individual that, you know, was clearly devoting some time into this gift and we read every one of them and it was just an amazing thing now what is the point of telling you that well did i mention that i have a weakness for ferraris as well (laughs) just throwing that out there you know (laughs) no the point is is that of all the gifts i personally received last christmas The one that everyone in our family remembers is the present of 12 bags of potato chips. Not because it was the most expensive gift. Not because it it was like something that you're going to just stand and tell everybody about. But it sent a very clear message to me. I love you, Pastor Kurt. And I come every Sunday and unlike many others, I pay attention to everything that you say. I listen to you, and I value your life in my development in Christ. And in fact, I 
I value so much that I took some time out of my very busy schedule to give you a gift that will communicate how valuable you really are to me. And so maybe, just maybe, again, I'm just throwing this out for your consideration, maybe the secret to the perfect gift is not asking yourself the question, what can I get them this year? But rather to ask the question, what do I want to say to this person? And then follow it up with this question, what could I give them that would best say it? What do I want to say to them And what can I give them that would best say it? At some point, in the eternal mind of Almighty God, He said, we're going to tell humanity we love them. What is the best gift that we can give to show that love? Hebrews 1. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. John, many years before this, said in John 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him nothing was made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld in His flesh the glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, I'm going to tell you, when I was sitting on my sofa a couple of weeks ago and I was reading those two verses, the first song that came to my mind was from that old hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. As I read those verses a couple of weeks ago, I felt so small. I felt so inadequate in trying to expound upon the greatness of God. I mean, doesn't anyone else feel the wonder that God Almighty became flesh and dwelt among us for one reason, to tell us through Jesus Christ, I love you. I love you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God loves you today in Jesus' name. I mean, I am absolutely, and I know that this is modern language, but I'm blown away at the thought that God would actually want to communicate with us. God is not only a giver of good and perfect gifts, but He is a God who speaks. He is a God who communicates with the sons and daughters that He has created in His image and according to His likeness. And God revealed His Word to us 2,000 years ago. Think about it. The entire creative process, from the moment He first said, let there be light, to the separation of the light from the darkness, from the division of the land, the water, and the sky, to the creation of the animals, and ultimately mankind in His own image, they all find their origin in the spoken Word of God. You are nothing more than, than the expression of God's Word. 
And not only that, but we are told that we are upheld by His Word. That we are sustained every day by the Word of the living God. And as I have often mentioned, you're alive today not because you take good care of your body. You're alive today because He chose to uphold you by His Word in Jesus' name. But God's Word is not impersonal. His Word is His Son. The Word, John said, was in the beginning. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. Not a God. He is God. How many of you are thankful that Jesus is not just a prophet or a king? He is God in the flesh dwelling among us. And that word at various times and in various ways in the Old Testament was communicated through the prophets. But in these last days of grace, He has spoken to us by His Son, who the author of Hebrews said is the brightness of His glory, the exact image of God's person. And 2,000 years ago, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came as the full revelation of God, His grace and His truth, and everything that can be known about God, everything that could be said about God, has been communicated in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And apart from Him, you cannot know God, because Jesus is God Himself, in Jesus' mighty name. And I'm going to tell you, folks, that is something that we need to keep very clear in our minds, especially when you consider the times that we are living in. Because as I said on Wednesday night, as we're teaching the book of Revelation, and we'd love to have you come out on Wednesday evenings as we study this book together. But I shared with everyone on Wednesday night that we live in an age that celebrates um, spirituality. And often you'll hear people say, I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious. I don't go to church because I'm not religious, but I, I still am a very spiritual person. And you'll hear people, people often say, I pray to God. I love God. I want to please God in all that I do. And that's great. But what I really want to know before I make a judgment call is, what have you done with this man named Jesus Christ who said he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? That is the key question. Because you can say you pray to God, but the only God is the one who revealed himself in Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Am I preaching in the right church here today? Come on, folks. Just because you say you love God and pray to God does not mean you're praying to the true God. Because the true God is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He came in flesh to reveal the Father to everyone in Jesus' mighty name. And so I want to know, what are you doing with Jesus? Because remember one day Jesus said to the disciples, who do men say that I am? And he says, well, some people think you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Some think that you're the prophets of the Old Testament. And he said, you know, forget about that for a moment. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. There is still only one name by which man may be saved. That is the name of Jesus Christ. And if you're not coming through Him, you don't know God because He is God in the flesh. Come on, give Him praise in this house. 
He alone is the revelation of God the Father. He has spoken and speaks today of the fullness of the Father. He's been appointed by the Father as heir of all things. He was the creative agent of all things, including the worlds of the universe. He is the outshining and the radiance of the glory of God. He upholds all things by His Word. He alone has purged our sin with His blood. And now He sits down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where He ever lives to make intercession for you and I. And He will never stop interceding until we're caught up together to meet Him in the air. And then He will judge the living and the dead. Folks, I want you to know, there is no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, praise Him in Bethel this morning. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on. Magnify His name. And so when God said, I want to tell humanity I love Him, the greatest gift that He could ever give was His Son. His Son went on record saying, The Father has so loved you that He gave me that you might have everlasting life in Jesus' mighty name. So what is He saying to us? And that's what has been on my mind the last couple of weeks as I've been reading these portions of Scripture. What is he saying to us right now? Well, what isn't he saying, really? The, the Word of God is that you hold in your hands has been revealed in Christ. And so we'd be here forever if we were to go through everything that Jesus said. At first, my thought was, you know, I'm going to go through all of the references in the Gospels where it says specifically that Jesus said unto them, or Jesus spoke to them, or he spoke unto them this thing. And, and I was going to look at all of them, and, and then I was going to try to piece together from that list just a few that I felt impressed to share with you. But, you know, sometimes I get nervous about that because there's too many too many opportunities for my own heart to get in it and I don't want to misrepresent the heart of God and so I backed off a little bit and I just said Lord I'm just going to wait I really wanted to share this last week but I said Lord I need some clear direction on what I would to share with your people today that you're saying through your son in these hours that we're living in and as I did that I felt the Lord remind me of something I think all of you can relate to this. Of all the words that you and I will speak over the course of our lifetime, what are the words that you will speak one day that those who are closest to you will want to be present when you actually say them? Your last words. They want to hear the final words that you speak. We're obsessed with final words. There have been books written on the final words that people spoke before they passed. We're obsessed with that because we feel that the final words that someone speaks, um, that they're going to be profound. And history has proven that that's not always true. But we think they're going to say something uh, profound, something that will sum up their life and and that they are now considering as they're ready to depart from this life or maybe it is because as close as they are to passing we're thinking that maybe maybe they're going to say something that will give us a little bit of insight on what lies on the other side of this temporal life that we're living in and so we're hanging on those last words well do you know that recorded in the Gospels are the seven last words that Jesus ever spoke before his death. Now we know that he rose again three days later and he spoke and he is continuing to speak today. But 
inasmuch as they are the final words that Jesus spoke before he committed his spirit to the Father. I feel like they are very profound. And if you know the seven statements that Jesus made, you could almost say that he summed up the entire gospel in those seven statements. And so here's what I want to do. I, I, I want to take some time this week and next week. And, and because we're doing our children's program next week and you don't want to miss it and I want you to be here, I may not be able to do it all and finish it all next week. It might bleed into the third. I'm not sure. We'll just see how the Lord leads. But I want us to spend some time over these next couple of weeks at least looking at the final seven statements that Jesus made on the cross. Because I believe that in those seven statements, we can hear what the Father is saying to us in this hour. How many of you want to know what God is saying to us in these critical times that we're living in? And there are some things he's saying. So I'm just going to talk from my heart today. This isn't really a preaching sermon. I just want to share what I feel the Father is saying to all of us as his children today. Number one, I hear the Father through Christ saying, I'm interceding for you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. I want you to know that right now in heaven, Jesus is praying for you. Think about that. Would you turn to your neighbor and tell him, the Lord's praying for you right now. He's interceding for you. But with that, I also hear him say, forgive as you have been forgiven. Many of you know that the very first thing that Jesus said on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They do not know what they do. Now, I think that forgiveness is one of the most profound actions that we can ever demonstrate in our lives. I do. I think that forgiveness is incredible. And I have seen the power of forgiving and of being forgiven. Sometimes we, we rally around being forgiven, but I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more liberating in a life than when you forgive those who have trespassed against you in Jesus' name. But it's even more profound when you consider that these words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do, were uttered after Jesus had been brutalized all night long. From the beating he withstood in the presence of the religious leaders to the vicious flogging that he endured at the hands of the Roman soldiers, Jesus, now hanging on the cross, nailed to it hand and foot, looks down not only on those who beat him and mocked him and abused him that day, but literally looked upon all of mankind that would resist God and sin against him. And in that moment he lifted up his voice and he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And in that one statement, I believe that Jesus was saying no less than three things to us today. There are three things within this one statement that I believe that he wants to say to us today. Number one, it's the Father saying, I haven't given up on you. 
I'm providing the final solution for the sin problem. And if you will confess your sin, I will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'm going to tell you there is nothing greater than knowing that your sins, which were like scarlet, have now been made white as snow in Jesus' mighty name. And I will tell you that when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, He was saying, though your sins be grievous and though your sins be many, if you will just come to me and you'll confess your sin, I'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He didn't say that there was a sin he couldn't forgive. He just said, come to me, confess it, forsake it, because I am a forgiving God. How many of you are thankful that today, though your sins be grievous, you can be forgiven in Jesus' mighty name? I don't care what you've come in having done. I don't care what you've come in uh, having been a part of or where you have gone. If you will confess and forsake your sin, He will be faithful and just to forgive you of it and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know, from the moment that, uh, that it was revealed that Christ was coming, it was clear that He was coming to save His people from their sins. When the angel came to Joseph, he said to him, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The Greek form of the Hebrew, Joshua, which means Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. That is, he'll prevent them from failing and missing the true end and scope of life, which is God. Which tells me that Christ did not come just to forgive you of your sin, but to actually free you from your sin, to prevent you from from failing and missing the true end and the scope of life, which is a relationship with God. How many of you are thankful that you don't have to spend your life just living from sin to forgiveness and sin from forgiveness, but instead you can repent of your sin and by the power of the Holy Spirit be free from it in Jesus' mighty name. That's what He comes to do. But I also hear Him saying through this, you have an advocate with the Father. And I'm ever living to intercede for you. I'm just so comforted by that. I don't know about anybody else. But just think about it. In his dying hours, Jesus is interceding for us. He's not praying for himself. He's interceding for us. And that was a picture of what he ever lives to do now. Because Hebrews tells us that he ever lives to intercede for us As you've often heard me say, don't ever give up because even if no one else is praying for you, Jesus is praying for you. He's interceding for you before the Father so that your faith would not fail and that you would overcome. We do not have a high priest, Hebrews tells us, that cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted and tested just like you and I are, yet without sin, so that we can confidently enter in to the throne room of God and obtain mercy and grace to help in our time of need. He's not cut off and disconnected from you. That's why He came in the flesh. So that He could identify with your weaknesses. So that He could identify with your sorrows. That He could identify with your tears. And stand before the Father and say, Dad, I've been there. I know what they're going through. And I'm pleading for your power to fill them and bring them through. I'm glad today I'm not alone. He's ever interceding in Jesus' name. Come on, give Him praise.
But then thirdly, in this one statement, I hear him say, now that you have been forgiven, forgive others in the same way. If Jesus, who had been brutalized all night long, could look down upon those who had abused him and say, forgive them, for they know not what they do, how much more should we be able to look upon those who have inflicted great hurt and say, Father, forgive them? There is one thing that I have come to see and to know about every true believer. Every true believer has been forgiven and forgives. True believers do not walk with bitterness and unforgiveness resentment in their heart they walk in forgiveness as they have been forgiven I love the way you're shouting right now you know it's interesting and, and you've heard me talk about this in the past what I, I find very interesting about forgiveness is that even though he said father forgive them for they know not what they do that didn't mean that all of humanity at that moment stood forgiven. It didn't mean that. Because then there would be no need for us to repent of our sins or everything. It wasn't that. Jesus was forgiving humanity from his heart. And the only way that man can receive forgiveness, as we've already spoken of, is to now confess and forsake their sin. And then that forgiveness is offered to them. But by forgiving humanity within his heart, he was removing all the obstacles to reconciliation and was making a way to be restored to the Lord. And that is what God requires of you and me. I can't offer anyone who's hurt me forgiveness until they ask me for my forgiveness. But I can forgive them in my heart at the moment they hurt me so that there is nothing that would hinder them coming to me so that reconciliation could be made. Now, there are so many directions that I could take here, but I'm going to tell you, in all honesty, and my Proverbs group, they will keep me honest here today. My prayer just this week, I said, guys, I want you to pray for Bethel specifically for this. I know that the holiday season, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or even other holidays, have a tendency to accentuate the tension and the hurt that often exists within the family. And my prayer this particular Christmas season has been that for those of you who are here at Bethel, and this is your home, that are estranged from your family, or there are tensions that are high at this particular time, that you would allow God to use you as a catalyst for healing within your family by relinquishing your right to hold on to the hurt that's been inflicted upon you and from your heart to forgive those who have injured you and reach out to them as your father reached out to you and demonstrated his love in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And that you would stand back and see what God might do by forgiveness in Jesus' name. My Bible tells me that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And I believe if it works for the Father, 
then it works for us. You never know what your mercy and your forgiveness might do in the heart of your loved ones. I'm praying for healing in families this Christmas. In Jesus' mighty name. Bless God. Bless God. The second statement that Jesus made from the cross really brings us to a place where I feel the Father is saying to us, I'm preparing a place for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm preparing a place for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Many of you know that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And at the very beginning, and this is often overlooked, both of these thieves openly mocked Christ. But as the hours went on, one of them became very tender in his heart towards Christ and began to really have a revelation of who he was, while the other one remained insistent in his mocking. And the Bible tells us that at one point, that mocking thief yelled out and said, you said you're the Christ. If that's true, save yourself and save us as well. But the other one, listen to what he says. He says, don't you fear God. He says, this just man is receiving what he does not deserve. We are receiving what we do deserve. And then he looks at Jesus and he said, Jesus, would you remember me as you come into your kingdom? And Jesus speaks for the second time. And he says, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. How many of you are thankful that even a murderer can go to heaven in Jesus' name? Come on. <laughs> Bless God. You know, it just hit me over the weekend as I was thinking about that. It's just the idea that the Lord in His grace and His mercy, as much pain as that thief was experienced on that cross, he at least had peace within his heart because he knew when he drew his last breath, he would immediately be in paradise with Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. I'm going to tell you, folks, through those words, I hear the Father saying, hey, I'm preparing a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, some of you are probably saying, wait a minute, Pastor Kurt, you're going to talk about death at Christmas time? Why not? Because I can't even tell you how many men and women are here today who've lost loved ones around Thanksgiving, around Christmas. And every time the decorations go up and the pies are baked, it reminds them of the loved ones that they have lost. And there is nothing more comforting to the heart of man than if my loved one died in Christ, they're with him. And if I die in Christ, I'll be reunited with them in Jesus' mighty name. That is hope. That is hope. You know, as I, as I thought of those words that he said, today you'll be with me in paradise, I'm reminded of just several hours before that when Jesus is still in the upper room with the disciples, he said to them in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Really, it's saying in, it, it, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. 
And you know, there are people that would read this verse and say, you know, that's in the future. But what hope does it give me right now? He starts out, don't let your heart be troubled. That's now. Because I'm preparing a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. That's the future. In other words, he's saying the only way to have a comforted heart in this hour is to know this is not your home. But he's preparing a place for you one day. And from there, you'll never say goodbye in Jesus' name. You know, the word troubled here, it means to be struck with fear or to be struck with dread. It means to be anxious or distressed. And I'm going to tell you, there is a lot in this world to be stressed out about. And there are many things that can happen very quickly that will cause us to be anxious or instantly struck with fear or dread. But Jesus said, I don't want you to be overwhelmed with fear and dread and anxiety and depression and stress. Instead, I want you to remember in those moments, I've gone to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. I can't think about that without immediately going to Revelation chapter 21 where we read in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. You know what's tragic is that we only consider this verse at funerals. But folks, we are to consider this every single day. Because when I read this, I'm reminded I'm not home yet. Listen, I know that not all of you had a wonderful home life growing up, and and my heart goes out to you, but there was nothing that, that thrilled me more at the end of a hard day. When I was in school and and you go through all the temptations and all of the, you know, there was a period, it wasn't my whole high school year, but there was a period of about three years in high school where there were a couple of guys that really made my high school years hard. And it was hard sometimes navigating through life and trying to figure all those things out. But I knew at the end of the day, I was coming home to a family that loved me, just who I was. And they would encourage me in that day. And you know, life is hard sometimes, folks. It gets overwhelming. You and I as believers should never feel at home here. There should always be a tension that's here because this isn't in our home. But I'm reminded that there is a Father in heaven that's preparing home for me. And one day he'll call me to himself by his grace and he'll wipe away every tear from my eye and he'll wash the blood, the sweat and the tears away and he'll say, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. This is not our home. He is preparing a place for us. Give him a shout of praise today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Don't let your heart be troubled. He's with you. And then the last thing we're going to look at here today. I hear the Father saying from the cross, I still love the family. Fight for yours. I still love the family. Fight for yours. The third 
utterance of Christ on the cross came in a very tender moment when Jesus looked down from the cross and he saw his mother and the disciple who he loved, which we know is John, standing there. When Jesus turned to his mother and he said, woman. Now listen, that is not a derogatory word. It doesn't mean the same thing that it does to you and I today. He wasn't being disrespectful toward her at all. Mother or woman could actually be used as a term of endearment in that day. It was more like saying precious lady. And some people would say, well, why didn't he call her mother? Can you imagine what Mary would have felt like if he, in that condition, had said mother? It would have crushed her even more. And so not to add even more burden to her heart, graciously he says, precious woman, precious lady, behold your son. And he's not saying behold your son. He's saying behold your son looking at John. And then he says to John, behold your mother. And from that hour, John took her to his own home. Think about that. One out of seven statements that Jesus made was directed to the family. As he said, before I leave this earth, I want to make sure that my mother is taken care of. Could there be a greater shout out to the family than the third statement that Jesus made on that cross in his dying moments Mom, here's your son now. John, this is your mother. Don't let my mom suffer. Take care of her. I'm going to tell you folks, and I don't believe it's a stretch. The father is saying through those statements, I am still for the family. I'm still for moms and dads husbands and wives i'm still for sons and daughters and grandmothers and grandfathers and aunts and uncles and cousins i am still for the family don't give up on yours if i was fighting for mine at the end you fight for yours to the end in jesus mighty name god doesn't waste any opportunities And God even used the occasion of sending His Son into this earth to underscore that I am still for the family. I mean, there, God is an, a creative God. God. God could have come up with many different ways to send His Son. But what does He do? He sends Him as a baby to a mother. Because He wants His Son to be raised on this earth by a godly mother, and by a godly father figure. Joseph may not have been his father, but he was a godly father figure to Jesus as he was growing up. Because God said, this is the order, and I want you to continue this order till I come again. Now listen, it's always hard to go down this road with a crowd this size because not all of us are living in that perfect situation. But that's why we started with forgiveness. (laughs) How many of you are glad that God can even forgive you from that in Jesus' name? Amen. But what he's saying is, 
from this day forward. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, from this day forward, we're going to do it right. Come on, that's what we do now. We don't look back on the past, it's over, but from this day forward, we're going to do it as God intended. You know, God so loved the family that he actually invited Joseph, who, if you really think about it, was not necessary, but he invited him into it. Because he said, no, I want my son to be raised in the family as I intended it to be. And invited him in. And, and Joseph played a very significant role in the early years of Jesus' life. I mean, obviously, he passed away at some point. We don't know when that was. But he does not show up as Jesus begins his ministry. So at some point, Joseph died. But in those early years, he was a vital part of that story. And often we forget it. But can I just, just read this portion of Scripture to you? This is in Matthew chapter 2. This is after the wise men had come from the east with gifts. And listen, when they had departed, they being the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until, you, uh, until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, departed from Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod. Now later, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth. I'm going to tell you, you read his story and you think, this is a remarkable man. He was only with us for a brief time. There's not much that is said about Joseph, but what is said shows us that he was a remarkable man of God. First of all, we know that Joseph was a just man. Because immediately upon hearing that Mary was pregnant when they still had not consummated their marriage, he immediately thought that she had been unfaithful. And we can understand that. I mean, let's be honest. She comes in and says, you know what, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, I didn't have an affair. It's by the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not trying to be facetious, but you can understand why he didn't, he didn't believe it initially. And he was just, and his first thought was, I'm going to do what the law says to do. I'm going to write a bill of divorcement. Let her go on with her life and mine. But we also see that he was merciful. Because he didn't act upon it immediately. He went home and he pondered it. And in my heart, I've always thought that Joseph was sitting there thinking, you know, I know what the circumstances are telling me, but I know Mary. And I know that Mary's not like that. I'm missing something. God, what is it that's happening? And God used that as an opportunity to invite Joseph to come in and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And being a man of God as he was, he gave up all of his dreams and his ideas and he went with God in Jesus' name. But you know what else I love? He, you know, he was just, he was merciful, but he was also sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 
as much as you could under the old covenant because he's still under the old covenant but he's sensitive to the Holy Spirit because as he's waiting upon the Lord the, the Lord actually reveals him on three different occasions that there is an enemy that is seeking to destroy Jesus and you need to move and he was sensitive and moved by the Spirit of God and all throughout the weekend as I've been getting ready for our time together I just felt that I needed to speak to the men I want all of the men in the house to say amen right now Come on, say it louder than that, man. Amen. All right, I'm talking to you guys. You have been placed in your family to be that kind of a man. To be a man who is just, who knows how to stand up for the Word of God and lead your family by the Word. But you need to be merciful as well. Some of you men lean naturally and adjust, but you are heavy-handed with your family. Then there are others of you like me that you lean more into uh, being merciful, but your family's walking all over you. God, give us men who know how to be just and hold up to the Word of God, but also know how to show mercy when their family messes up in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody give God the praise for that. But we also need men who know how to get a hold of God, who know that there is an enemy that is out to destroy their children and their wives and their lives and tear apart their family that can wait on God and get dreams and visions and that know how to get a prophetic word and say, no, that's not coming in our house. No, we're not going to go there. This is what we're going to do because this is the house of God and we are not going to be like the rest of the world. Choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord in Jesus' mighty name. I hear the Father saying, fight for your family. If I fought for the family on the cross, then you fight for your family in Jesus' mighty name. How many of you believe the family is still worth fighting for? Come on, give God the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord. And so I hear the Father saying to us today, I just hear Him saying, I'm interceding for you. Forgive as I have forgiven you. I hear him saying to every one of us here, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't worry about the election in 2020. I'm preparing a better place for you in heaven. Bless God. And then I hear him saying, I still love the family. Fight for you. I like to have every head bowed and every eye closed. You know what we're going to do? we got just a minute or so. Can we come to the altar today? I just feel like we need to come and commit ourselves to these things. I just want us to come around these altars, and I want us to just pray. I, I felt we needed to do that. And for those of you that are not, you know, like accustomed to that, every once in a while we just come to the altars, and we say, Lord, speak to our hearts. I don't want you to pray silently either. Corporate prayer.